So Jesus asks that you would please speak through us, uh, speak through me, the thoughts we're going to think, the words I'm going to say. Help us know you better. Help us connect with you more. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Just when Rich read that last line, uh, even the stones will cry out, I got an absurd image of the rolling stones. (laughs) But I don't think that's what uh, the passage meant. (laughs) So I will dig into what the passage actually means. Uh, In the play, A Chorus Line, there is a song about a woman who goes to a method acting class. And their instructor is named Mr. Carp, and he asks them to pretend to be a bobsled and feel what a bobsled would feel. And everyone in the class says, I feel the wind, I feel the cold. But this woman says, I felt nothing. Well, then they had to be an ice cream cone. And she says, so I dug right down to the bottom of my soul to see how an ice cream felt. I dug right down to the bottom of my soul and I tried to melt. But I felt nothing. And Carp said nothing could get someone transferred. They all felt something. But I felt nothing except the feeling that this garbage was absurd. There you go. Thank you for that smattering. Um, not not going to quit my day job. Now, if you know the play, you know that's, those aren't the direct, that's not a direct quote because the actual words would get me fired. And I've actually been a little nervous I'm going to slip and use the real words. But here's the point. We are doing a sermon series called Confessions of an Eastsider. And the one I want to talk about today sort of relates to that song. And it's one that I hear a lot. Yeah, I'm just not feeling it, Pastor. Kind of a lack of passion. Maybe that's in life in general, or in a marriage, or in a job, or in faith, right? Just kind of this lack of passion. Sometimes folks will say, if Jesus is so real, how come I don't feel him? I'm not feeling it. Or occasionally I'll hear on Sunday someone said, yeah, just wasn't feeling that sermon today, pastor, which is always so encouraging. (laughs) And that kind of emotional bleh can just kind of permeate our whole lives and seep into our marriages, our jobs, everything, until you kind of end up feeling like a line from another rock and roll song, uh, oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living it's gone. That song is like the most depressing song ever. Now I want to be clear, I'm not talking about folks who are just sort of by nature even keeled emotionally people. I mean, I'm not talking about that. Some of you are just like, I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying we have to get all emotionally sloppy and sort of emotionally incontinent and just kind of leak feelings everywhere. I'm not talking about that. But in today's story, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, there's just a ton of passion, a ton of energy. Everyone's saying Hosanna. Everyone's celebrating. It's a big old party until, until the religious leaders say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, make them be quiet. Thanks, pastor party pooper. Right? Like, just leave it to a religious leader to kill joy and dampen enthusiasm. But there's actually lots of things that do that in our life, that rob us of our passion. People who criticize and complain all the time just kind of steals our energy. Or the problems of life that just kind of wear us down. Or the routine of life where it feels like it's the same old, same old every single day. Or having too many demands placed on us. All of those things zap energy, zap passion. And then we start to think things like, you know what I really need, what I really need, what I really need is a new car. That'll put energy and passion back into my life. Or a new house. But those things actually don't really help. Or we think, what I need is a new job or a new vacation. Uh, And sometimes those things can help, but it doesn't last. 
Yesterday, my daughter was asking about the policy we have here at the church where every five years, pastors can take a few extra weeks away for study leave to kind of revive the creative juices. And she said, are you going to get to do that? And I said, yeah, when when the time comes. But then she said, yeah, but it's not worth it because then you have to come back holier than ever. Totally not worth it. Totally not worth it if I have to come back holier than ever, right? Because, I mean, I'm already pretty darn holy, right? So... But that first Palm Sunday, I think, gives us some clues how to get the passion back in our life at a deeper, more permanent level. And I'm going to talk mostly about finding enthusiasm for Jesus. But because Jesus is the source of all real enthusiasm, if we have passion for him, we'll have more passion in our marriages, in our jobs, everything else. The word enthusiasm comes from two Greek words, en, meaning in, and theos, meaning God. In other words, if God is in us, if we are in God, we will have an theoasm. And the first step toward that is to stop numbing our feelings. And here's what I mean. We live in a culture where it is perfectly okay to be passionate about a great many things. Chocolate, sports, and and I'm passionate about some of those things too. But then we numb ourselves to other emotions. So, for instance, we don't want to get too emotional about Jesus because, well, then we'd be a Jesus freak like those people on TV, so I'll tamp that down. Or we numb ourselves to the pain in our own lives. We go, I don't like this feeling, so I'm just going to kind of, I don't know, have a beer and a couple of chocolate chip cookies or whatever and kind of numb that. Or shopping or workaholism or addictions or whatever to numb the pain inside of us. Or when we see other people's pain, it's like we put on noise-canceling headphones and just kind of turn away and like, ooh, that's too bad. My family and I were in Orlando for winter break, and we went to Universal Studios, and one of the rides there is Jurassic Park, a very wet ride, as it turns out. And we got our picture taken in front of this giant dinosaur, and the photographer told us to look terrified, except I didn't get the memo, apparently. So... My wife posted this on Facebook, and one person commented, Scott seems strangely resigned to his fate. <laughs> like we just kind of do that. We kind of just numb emotions. But here's the problem. You, you can get rid of that now. We're done. I'm going on to a serious point. We don't need that. Here's the problem. You cannot numb feelings selectively. It's all or it's nothing. So you can't say, for instance, here's grief, here's sorrow, here's shame. I don't like those, so I'm going to numb those without also numbing out other feelings like joy and connection and love. We can't numb them selectively. It's all or nothing. In this story, after Jesus comes into Jerusalem, do you know what the very next thing he does is? The very next verse, he weeps over the city because it's rejected God. He goes from high to low. Joy to pain, because that's Jesus. And Jesus was a very joyful guy, right? And in this text, you can see him being joyful. But then the next verse, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, and weeps over the city. Joy to pain. Jesus was a joyful guy in part because he didn't turn away from pain. See, ironically, in order to feel more joy, energy, and enthusiasm, we also have to open ourselves up to pain and see what God can do with that in redeeming it, because you can't numb feelings selectively. Step two. For more enthusiasm, step two is you got to let Jesus wreck your plans. Everyone in this story has a plan for Jesus, an agenda, right? The crowd wants him to kick out the occupying Roman army. The religious leaders just want him to be quiet, and he disappoints all of their agendas, which is why they crucify him five days later. But what they couldn't see was that Jesus' agenda was so much bigger than theirs. Jesus is saying, I am doing something so much bigger than just kicking out the Romans, 
I'm going to defeat violence, not by using more violence, but by absorbing the worst violence the world can dish out on the cross. Use that to cancel the debt of every sin ever sinned and conquer death by rising three days later. I'm doing so much more than just kicking out the Romans and putting the Israelites on top because that would still leave a culture of who's on top and who's not. Jesus says, I'm coming to get rid of top and bottom altogether and bring in the kingdom of our God in replacing the kingdom of this culture around us. So much bigger. See, if we stick with our agendas, we don't have enthusiasm and passion because our agendas are so much smaller. Jesus says to the religious leaders, I tell you, if they were quiet, even the stones will cry out. And he's saying, you know what? Even the rocks know that I'm God. And they know what I'm up to, and they're excited about it. The rocks get it. It's just you religious people that don't get it. Like, what's wrong with you? Because their agendas were just so much smaller. So what box do you have Jesus in? Because your, your life's going to be no bigger than your God. So if your God's in a box, your life's in a box, and you're not going to be feeling it. Is it the religious box that says Jesus just came to give us a bunch of rules and make us behave? Is it the consumer Christian box that says Jesus came to make my life comfortable and prosperous and all of that? As I said a few weeks ago, Jesus' purpose is to wake you up, shake you up, so he can take you up to a harder life, but a bigger, better, richer, deeper life. But to do that, he has to wreck our agendas because ours are so much smaller. Last Sunday night, after our 6 o'clock service here, I went to Compline, which is uh, 30 minutes of Gregorian chant at St. Mark's Cathedral in Seattle. And when I was in college at the University of Washington, I went to Compline every single Sunday night. And since moving back here, I, I try to go every couple of months. And, and last Sunday, I had a list of things to pray for. I had an agenda for Jesus. There's some folks in the church I wanted to pray about who are going through hard times, various issues and decisions I wanted to pray through, certainly the sermons. I was feeling, you know, Easter is always sort of, you know, every pastor sort of get the Easter sermon right. So I have all of these things I want to pray for. And a lot of times when I try to pray, I don't know about you, or when I go to Compline, my mind wanders. And to be frank, I'm just often very bored. But last week, the minute I sat down, out of the blue, I got this picture in my head, as clear as I can picture my own living room or a familiar face, just really clear picture of Jesus sitting next to me. And he put his hand on my back in my imagination, and he said in my imagination, we've been coming here for 30 years together. It was the we that got me. And I'm like, you had me at we, Jesus, right? It's just, it's just this moment. And so I said, okay, Lord, sanctify my imagination. And in my wandering thoughts, I'm going to assume you're going to try to say something to me. And I just sat there and felt his presence. I never got to my agenda at all. Although at one point, I have to be honest, I did start to think, hey, this is good. I could put this in a sermon. At which point in my mind, I sort of saw Jesus roll his eyes. I don't know if he does that or not, but <laughs> in my imag sanctified imagination, he just went like this and goes, fine, but focus, Dudley, focus on what we're doing here, right? I never got to my agenda. I just said, you know, the next day I prayed for all those other things the next day. And I left feeling very energized, very actually, much more enthusiastic than I came in. And it kind of changed my whole week. I told the staff on Monday, just have a different view this week. Because Jesus wrecked my agenda in that moment. Step three, for more passion, stop making sense. Here's what I mean. Sometimes Jesus will call us to do things that don't make any sense at all, but they lead to more excitement, more energy. They're just bigger. Right? Because coloring inside the lines all the time gets boring after a while. Jesus is God in the flesh. This is the same God who at one point in the Old Testament says to an Old Testament king, when an army is invading Israel, says to the king, send out the priests to sing praise choruses to them. Okay, 
No general in history has ever said, we got to win this war. Let's send in the pastors, right? Like that's just contraindicated. It doesn't make any sense at all. In this story, Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. Conquering messiahs were supposed to ride in on stallions. It makes no sense at all. And yet Jesus is doing a much bigger revolution in this story than just kicking out the Romans. Sometimes you need just a little crazy in your life. Heard a story about a man who owns a construction company around here, and he has about 10 other men that work for him. And one week he said to his, his employees, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Guatemala with my church to build some houses for the poor, and I'm going to shut the shop down for a week, and y'all can come with me, and I'll help pay your way, or you can just stay here and have a week of paid vacation. That, makes, that does not pencil, okay? You're running a small shop, close it for a week, that makes no, and pay for everyone to come with, makes no business sense at all. Several of the guys took him up on that. They spent a week together building houses in the name of Jesus. He got a lot closer to these employees of his as they worked side by side. And at the end of that week, they hadn't bathed all week, which tends to draw you closer to your employees, I guess. So he and his employees go down to this creek with a plastic bucket that had holes in the bottom. And the boss fills it with water and holds it over the uh, heads of the employees as they washed off. And as they're doing that, one of the guys said, Hey, boss, isn't there some place in the Bible where Jesus does something like this? referring to the time Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And that image so moved the boss, he kind of teared up. And then all these other construction guys, they started to tear up. It changed everything in the office when they got back. Everything. Just a week after they got back, one guy walked into his office and said, I notice you have a really good marriage. I have a terrible marriage. Can you help me figure out how to be a better husband? Another guy said, I've got a drinking problem I need to get a handle on. Can you help me figure that out? Changed everything. Now, it made no sense from a business perspective to lose all that revenue. It did not make sense. And yet it led to a bigger, richer life. You've got to do stuff that doesn't make sense. And you know what, Bell Press? One of the things I just love about you all, one of the things I just love about this church is that so many of you are so very unreasonable. Right? Like you make no sense at all. And I mean that in the good way. Right? Like from the bottom of my heart, you make no sense. Um, and I just love that about you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we called the Bellevue Public Library and asked if we could use uh, their parking lot on Easter to provide extra parking for all of you. So this is a sermon illustration slash plug to get you to park off-site and use the shuttles next week. Well, when we called the public library and said, can we use your parking lot on Easter? This is what the librarian in charge said, and this is a direct quote. She said, we would love to help you because Bell Press is a force for good in this community. That's a direct quote. I just love that. But you are a force for Use the force, Bell Press. <laughs> right? Like you are a force for good. But you don't know why we are perceived as a force for good in this community? Because we have not made sense in this church for decades. For decades we haven't made sense at all. Oh, 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 I know. Let's start a coffee house for drug addicts in the 60s in Bellevue. What? Say, that makes no sense at all. Oh, oh, I know. Let's, 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 send our, let's send a team down to Guatemala in the middle of the Civil War and have them find a village that we can partner with until it's economically self-sustaining. Ooh, ooh. And you know what would make that better? Let's send our senior citizens to do that. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, right? Ooh, good job, guys. That, that just pencils perfectly. Or two years ago, oh, oh, let's have a 10-year plan to buy houses to put teens who had very difficult backgrounds in. Let's buy those houses, 10-year plan. Oh, look, they all come up for sale in the same year. Okay, well, we'll just buy them all in one year. Makes no sense. 
And so many of you are doing things that make no sense, starting ministries in Sierra Leone or in your office place, doing all kinds of things, and it's leading to a bigger, richer, deeper life. It is one of the things I have loved about all of you. From the very beginning, you make no sense at all. It's just wonderful. I remember when I was interviewing here, right? I saw this at the very beginning. At the final stage, the committee narrowed it down to three candidates, and they decided to have the three candidates come in for a long weekend of, of final round interviews. And then, but here's the radical part. They decided that they would vote up or down after they talked to each candidate rather than wait till they saw all three and make a decision then, as you would do. They decided, no, we'll vote up or down after each interview based on the premise that if you've got the right person, you don't need to see the other two. Okay, what kind of fools do that? Right? Like, and I remember just thinking, this is awesome. I remember thinking, any, I want to be at this church if they hire me because any church foolish enough to hire me, I had no experience, any church foolish enough to hire me is either crazy or filled with the Holy Spirit. And some of you are like, can we pause on that? Because I'm not sure which one it was. I'm going to bank on the Spirit. Stop numbing emotions. Let Jesus wreck your plans. Stop making sense. And finally, the most counterculture thing we could do Engage and commit. Feelings are important, and we should not numb them. But as a culture, we are so driven by feelings alone that when folks don't feel the same feelings in their marriage or in their church experience or in their friendships or in their faith, they just walk away and call it quits, either physically or in their hearts. But here's the thing. Often feelings follow commitment. C.S. Lewis has a great line, duty is the cast we put on broken love until it heals. Duty is the cast we put on broken love until it heals. So in a friendship or marriage or church experience or faith, when the feelings are gone, if we do the work of forgiving, if we do the work of helping each other be all we were created to be, if we do the work of connecting with Jesus, the feelings will often follow. I've told you before about a man in this church who told me how his marriage was a disaster. They were always fighting all kinds of stuff. No passion, no romance. He started going to men's fraternity, started treating his wife better, started loving her the way the Bible says to love your wife, started helping her become all that she was created to be, stopped his drinking problem, all kinds of things. A year later, he said the passion was back, the romance was back, their marriage was fantastic. He said, I just needed to love her. He committed, and the feelings follow. Feelings follow commitment. It's why I'm so passionate about the Mariners, right? You're like, how can you be passionate about the Mariners? Because I'm committed to them, right? For better or for worse, in sickness and in health, in losing seasons and in... Well, we can't quite finish that last one there, but this is the year, right? This is the year. Why not? My wife and I keep quoting Russell Wilson to the Mariners. Why not you, Mariners? Why not you, right? <laughs> World Series, here we come. So what does it look like to engage and commit? Just a couple of things. First, maybe stop critiquing all the time, whether it's a friendship or a marriage or faith. A little critique is great and can lead to healing. Too much of it, though, just kills enthusiasm. It's like when Jesus healed a crippled man. It says the religious leaders were there waiting for him to do it on the Sabbath because that was against their tradition. They were there to criticize. Jesus was there to heal. Be there to heal. And then second... Engage with Jesus personally in prayer, worship, scripture. Come to all the Holy Week services this week. You know what? Easter means a lot more if we do Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday as well. And then this week, I'm going to give you three prayers to pray if you have the guts. Jesus, wreck my plans. Jesus, break my heart for what breaks yours. Jesus, 
connect me with you. I was talking to a guy a while back who works at Boeing, and he's not very enthusiastic about his job, and he's also wanting to kind of experience Jesus more. So as a way of making his days more interesting, I had suggested to him to pray every day, Jesus, what game do you want to play today? And that's, I talked about this prayer a little bit in our Immerse conference, and I gave it to him. So one day, on his way to work, he prayed, Jesus, what game do you want to play today? And the thought popped into his head, risk a game he had not played since he was a kid or even thought about since he was a kid. So that day he had to email a person in another part of the plant about some equipment stuff. And after they'd settled that, he asked, how's your day? Emailed her, how's your day? She wrote back, actually not very good. I think I'm just going to go home. And then he remembered that Jesus wanted to play risk with him that day. And he also remembered that a week earlier, he'd actually been to this woman's desk and seen a picture there, which he assumed was her son, and he'd wondered about it then, but didn't say anything. So he remembered that Jesus wanted to play risk with him. So he emailed her back and said, I noticed a picture on your desk last week when I was there. Is that your son? And she emailed back and said, yes. And he died a year ago. He's about your age, was about your age. And this week is the one-year anniversary of his death, and that's why it's a bad day. So he wrote back and said, I can't imagine how that feels. He said, my uncle just died. I'm going to the funeral. That's hard enough. But to lose a child would be so hard. And he said, but I felt led to ask you about that picture today, which is true. And I just want you to know, you know, I'm, my heart goes out to you. And, and I'm with you. She wrote back and said, thank you. And that his words were comforting, that they were helpful, that they were healing. Now, that's just one small act of compassion. It's not like this giant, huge thing. But here she is in this big company carrying this terrible burden, probably wondering, does anyone care? Does, anyone, does God care? And he sent a clear signal by saying he felt led to ask her about that picture, that yes, he cared, and that God cared. He let Jesus wreck his plans. He did not numb himself to her emotions. He did something that doesn't make perfect sense in a business day context, and he engaged with her. He committed even just for that little bit to go a little bit deeper, and it made his day at Boeing a little more interesting, a little more exciting. He actually had a really good day, and he was very enthusiastic about what had happened. So this week, how can you stop numbing your emotions? Let Jesus wreck your plans. Stop making so much darn east side sense all the time, and where is Jesus asking you to commit and engage? A while back, my wife was visiting a friend in Minnesota, and they went to a museum that had a chair that was specially made for William Howard Taft. Taft has the distinction of being our largest president in history. He weighed 345 pounds, and he's most famous for getting stuck in the White House bathtub. I mean, how'd you like all your life's accomplishments to come down to that memory, right? You know, stuck in the White House bathtub. And he got a lot of teasing for that, and actually he was pretty good-natured about, about it. And one time he went on a camping trip, and some folks were worried about his health because of his size. So he cabled a friend and said, not to worry, I just completed a 20-mile trip on horseback, and I feel great. Friend cabled back, yes, but how's the horse? <laughs> this will relate to the sermon, I promise. So my petite, five-foot-one Chinese wife sat in this chair for Taft, right? And the picture's too blurry to show, but in it, you can just see this chair just dwarfs her. She had to spread her arms all the way apart to just get them on the armrest. There was just a lot more Taft than my wife. Here's the point. Jesus just gives us a lot more if we let him. A lot more room, a lot more joy, a lot, just a lot more if we let him. This week is Holy Week. 
where we remember that God so loved us that he went to the cross, one of the cruelest forms of execution ever, paid the price for our sins, and rose again. And do you know what we call that? The passion of Jesus. See, Jesus didn't look at you and go, eh, just not feeling it. He didn't say that. His passionate love for you and his passionate love for me drove him to the cross, drove him to beat the tar out of the devil, drove him to shatter the bonds of death with his resurrection. And he didn't do all of that so that we could go to church. He did it to reconcile us to the Father, fill us with his love, and make us part of his rescue mission to the world. So swing for the fences, guys, or surrender the bat. Go win one for the giver. Pick your motivational cliche that you like the best. You know, go big or go to France, whatever it is, right? Because here is the promise. Jesus said, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, but I, I have come that they may have life and have it. How? Not in little bits and dabs and daubs, not in little miserable Oliver Twist, please, sir, can I have some more proportions? No, no, life pressed down, life heaped up, life overflowing the measure. There's just so much more in Jesus. So, Lord, help us to connect with that. Wreck our plans, Jesus. Keep us from making so much sense all the time and fill us with your power, fill us with your love. Lord, we want to be passionate about you because you were so passionate about us. Help us to do that. In your name, amen.